Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray presiding as the courts of both public opinion and the law continue to deliberate the case of Live Golf versus the PGA Tour. We've discussed it here on Good Good before, of course, but today we're in for a special treat because today we welcome one of sport's best business minds and a man responsible for some of the best coverage of this issue, Richard Gillis, of the unofficial partner along in just a moment. But first to the studio, my co-host Adrian Logue. Logue, this is one we've both been looking forward to, I think, not only because it's one of our favourite topics, but because Gillis is one of our favourite people. Absolutely. You've put me on to Gillis. I think you've put a lot of listeners to this podcast on to Gillis. I think there's been a few who have crossed over. I do get the odd DM saying, thank you for that. It's the only thing people have ever thanked me for. Of all the stuff I've done, it's the only thing people care about. They right. found Gillis through me. Well, they're going to get more Gillis today. So. <laughs> more Gillis today. He does have a first name. It is, of course, Richard, the man of the hour. He's an author, podcaster, and journalist, one of the most knowledgeable sports business types in the world. His website and podcast unofficial partner is Can't Miss, if you have any interest in the business of sport. Richard, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Late at night in the UK. They're very good of you to do so. Not at all. Good to see you both. Yeah, you both. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for that intro. It's very, uh, very nice. Well, I didn't mention the captain myth, with it, which I normally do. Can you still get it? The fabulous book you did about the Ryder Cup captaincy and what it what it tells us about humans. <laughs> I think it's still. I, 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 yeah, occasionally I see it around. I mean, it's it's. So when was it? 2016, 20, I can't remember that, when it came yeah. out. Now twenty sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, but uh, still, yeah. A, a truly Ooh, fabulous hunt, book. Hunt around. It's on Amazon, I think, somewhere. Yeah. There's just reckon- a whole shelf full of them in that <laughs> bookshelf behind <laughs> exactly. you there. Yeah, the autographed exactly. copies. It is uh, fantastic stuff. Gillis, why have you put all of us in the golf media to shame with your coverage of this Live Golf PGA Tour stuff? I think you've done two, at least two episodes, maybe three on Unofficial Partner, and they have all been brilliant. You spoke to Sean Bratches and got him to resign somehow the following week after the interview he did with you. Uh, you have followed this story. Now, I know you're interested in golf, but golf's not your main interest. What's grabbed the attention of Unofficial Partner about this Live Golf PGA Tour thing? Oh, there's so much in it, though, isn't there? It's. I think it's the most interesting sports business story of, you know, well, of, of recent times, probably since the European super league over here in terms of in football that was a big moment and i think the same themes and trends are at play you know that and i think it's sort of representative of something bigger and we'll probably you know we can talk about that but it's just so much in it and it's there's it's this you know the the trend if you like is uh, i think what's interesting is that it's it's hitting the traditional tours exactly where they don't what where they're vulnerable and they're weak and obviously that's why they're doing it i'm 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 sort of in a strange position really where i don't like the new startup for for just from the golfing perspective i don't find it interesting i find it you know it's it's quite dull to watch and i don't I don't enjoy the process. I find that I'm in in sort of abstract. I find it interesting to to follow because I think it's there's a whole load of things in here that every other sport and we cover all sports, you know, on unofficial partner. But there are there are lots of themes in here that are directly relevant. So you've got the sort of the the status quo that's existed in golf, I suppose you could, you know, when would you go back to sort of 68 or whenever the PGA tour sort of um, appeared in the guys that we recognize it today. So we've got the center and that's 
that's held and it's been held by you know it's been hosed in sponsorship money and and media rights money so between 68 and today you've had a massive increase in um media revenue really from the 90s and the argument is that it's made golf rights holders you know by that i mean the, mainly the pga tour the the people who are holding events complacent and it's 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 allowed a sort of just a sense of well why would we innovate why would we change anything there's no there's no great need to because we've just got so much money coming in and i think in any industry that's always going to be a question and it's just it's it's you then lay into different ways in which people are watching television watching sport that's all in here as well you've also got the the sort of rise of the the star and obviously golf has always been populated by stars and individual players but you across sport we're seeing increasingly a trend that people are just following individuals across social media whether it's you know influencers or whatever and when this is meeting sport in a way that we haven't seen before i, I think so we've got a whole load of different things going on there and it's it's fascinating to watch i as i say i'm no lover of the status quo and i don't really like the breakaway so i'm in the worst mm -hmm. of both worlds mm -hmm. here. i think you might be in a fairly common position just before we touch on some of the other stuff there in terms of sports and global sports how big is golf where does golf fit in that landscape comparison to the premier league and nfl and f1 is it a big deal it is a big deal because it's probably one of the few sports that could claim a genuinely global audience. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the things that Liv is getting at, which is that obviously the, 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 um, the tour, the PGA tour is obviously very American based and is focused in, you know, almost entirely on its American audience in which case, you know, there is a world out here and I don't need to tell you that, you know, that's been neglected by that over the years. So it's, but golf as a sport, one of its selling points has always been it's the, the, the sort of international, genuinely international nature of it in a way that, you know, you've obviously got the, you know, a lot of the conversation that conversations that we have about the business of sport is obviously dominated by, by, you know, where the money is going. You follow the money and it's things like the NFL, it's the IPL in India, it's the premier league, big European football leagues, golf and tennis are always in the conversation because there is the obvious structures of of majors and grand slams but you've also got quite considerably mature sports markets there which are incredibly valuable so um in dollar terms you mean i mean uh, you know, the the dollar terms of golf how does that stack up against something like the nfl i mean we've been historically told that golf's really a minor sport in that area are you saying it's maybe not. I think if you, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Certainly, the NFL, in terms of of its media rights, is a massive powerhouse. You know, it's obviously very US centric in a way that the IPL is very Indian centric. But the media rights are enormous. Um, golf is probably it's the, you know the the numbers around. Uh, that in the just in the american tv market are considerable you're talking about hundreds of millions so it's you know it's a very mature very considerable sport so it's you know it's mm. it's up there obviously in each market that you're going to have 
a different major player like over here in England, the Premier League just dominates everything else. Yeah. Um, but and so there are regional variations, but the but across the piece, Golf's golf is still yeah, considerable. So, if you look at you know, quite often this is one of the one of the things to look at is where you know sometimes these sort of rich lists of sports personalities and players quite often golfers always in that yeah. group along with NFL players and and base, uh, basketball players and and uh, and tennis players yeah. like the staleness that Richard alluded to there of the PGA Tour something we've been banging on about ever since we first sat down behind microphones a few years ago it's a completely understandable position for a company or an, an entity like the PGA Tour to end up if you're Jay Monaghan, do you really want to take something not broken and fix it? That's mm. dangerous, isn't it? It's remarkable, isn't it? You see you see this not just in sport but in any industry. Mm. You see it in the tech industry where enormous success hides problems. Mm. And you, you see it in, you know, businesses like Microsoft in the 90s was enormous. But there were problems there and it made them vulnerable. And then along came you know, Apple and and took a lot of the consumer market away from Microsoft. They're still very dominant in corporate. It was an unthinkable situation in the early nineties, wasn't it? That Apple, really, it really outrageously was. expensive, completely different operating system. Nobody ever would have thought Apple could possibly get into the consumer market. That's right. And then Apple, you know, similarly have enormous success now, and you know that enormous success can hide problems. And uh, you know, market share starts to get taken away from Apple as competitors enter that market. And, and Android starts to take over. But it, all of that's also very regional, which is interesting. But um, and, and, you know, staying with that tech analogy for a sec, Bill Gates always used to say, always act like you're under threat. Mm. No matter what you're doing, like, even if you're the market leader by a million miles, always act like you're under threat. And the PJ Tour clearly, to take it back to golf, the PJ Tour clearly hasn't done that. Um, they've had this enormous success and it's, hide, it's hidden lots of problems. But because I think they're, they're not very broad with their view of who their stakeholders are. Mm. They're, they've been very focused for a long time on pleasing the players and uh, we'll, we'll come to that. Have, and, securing, <laughs> and securing their TV rights. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they've really bent over backwards to please the players, but then you're going to have your Charlie Hoffmans and stuff who are just, you know, there's no pleasing them. But whatever behaviour that they've had mm. that uh, results in, like, we want this, we demand more. That, that behaviour is just going to repeat itself no matter how much you give them. And I think that's sort of the, the – they've made this rich environment for Liv to come in and go, well, we can give you more. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so they jump in. And that's why – and, you know, Richard touched on both these points – that it's – golf has been a great target because of its breadth of appeal in various regions – added to the fact that it was ripe for disruption. Mm -hmm. Those two things were very simple arguments for Liv to go, okay, let's target golf. And fascinatingly, the the story has become so much more complex since then mm. because every new person that enters the fray, like Norman brought his own interests into it, um, you know, Every added single, some headlines too, just quite. Every single player that has come into it has come into it for their own reasons, and they're all at different points in their career, and it all introduces new things. And at the start, it was all just so simple. You were against it because of where the money was coming from. It was incredibly simple. There was a line there, but we're not sure where the line is. <laughs> you knew where the other side of it was. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Huggy. Yes. Um, now that line is shifting around. We're still not sure, quite sure where it is because, you know, it's starting to get normalised. And there's just so much more interest being added to it with every – there's this court case now. And it, it just goes on and gets more escalated and more interesting as more 
interests come into it. To be fair, Gillis, would the PGA Tour... You couldn't have seen a threat to the PGA Tour 10 years ago, could you? There wasn't an entity that existed. I mean, to, to you know live as though you're under threat would have been foolish on the part of particularly the PGA Tour. In some ways, the European Tour, they kind of became – they became the second-tier tour once Tiger emerged in the US. Had Tiger emerged in Europe, perhaps things might have looked different. But wouldn't Europe have done the same thing? The, one of the fascinating things about this Live Golf thing is it's just such an unexpected quarter for such an extraordinary pool of money to suddenly appear from to be able to cause the disruption they have. The PGL guys, you had Andy Gardner on your podcast, the PGL guys were at it for six or seven years, couldn't get anywhere because they couldn't they couldn't find the money really to sort of finance it. That's one of the most fascinating things. In it, is who are these people? What do they want? What are they after? What, the, the Saudi? Yes, the Saudis. Um, there's two views on that. One is it's simple in that it's, just a tourism, you know, it's a, it's a sports washing thing. Um, and therefore if you follow that route, there is no, it's a, it's a sort of irrational actor. You know, there, there is no rational return on investment model that you can put against it. No business case that you can put against it because that that's not the game that they're playing. The other argument in is that, so PIF, which is the, you know, the sovereign wealth fund essentially of the of Saudis, is the is the investor and back to Andy Gardner and the PGL, there is a business model there. Mm. And so those two entities have merged. And if you then look at the longer term, and the argument is always stop looking at the return over a year or two years or even five years, look at the next 20 years. And this was the argument that Andy Gardner is still making, by the mm, way, and absolutely. you know is putting to the PGA mm. uh, Tour player board, which is that don't go with Live. We can build this on our own, you know, essentially together, and they get a share of the of the um, the media rights and all of the the income that's coming in. Now, if you look at the business model of of Live, there's a few things that, as you mentioned, I had Sean Bratches on. And we went through, you know, sort of, well, what is it? What are you doing here? And he's a bright guy. He's come from, you know, he was ESPN and Formula One. And there's a lot of echoes. It's almost like a sort of greatest hits of what they've learned over the last few years about what's what makes money in sports. So you get a bit of uh, the NFL and the IPL of, of there is a team element to it, which is at the moment looks very flimsy, but is central i think mm. to the to the model in that they want those teams to become a bit more like formula 1 teams or a bit more like an ipl franchise which is a heck of a stretch but just you know that's the four, that's the four aces a bit would of the model <laughs> the four aces yes. and the majestics would disagree yes indeed <laughs> i know it's just you know but that's that's part of it and mm. i think probably an underestimated part of it because actually once you have teams then you can get investors in so there's a part of this that the necessary this year almost is all about the you know let's see what players we can get over the line and as you know, Adrian said there, each one comes with a story and the whole thing is is building its own narrative. And, you know, you're watching it as a sort of freak show element to it, but that can't sustain. So the sort of 
okay, so the 10 year plan is in 10 years, you're going to have eight, 12 franchises Mm -hmm. of which are going to have their own identity. They've got, they've employed, um, Whedon and Kennedy, who are, you know, did a lot of Nike and ESPN's work. Sean Bratches used them at F1. They are one of the world's, you know, most renowned and, and best advertising agencies of the last sort of decade, couple of decades, really. And they're the people that are building the bre- the team brands or being tasked with that. So they're that's serious people doing serious work behind the scenes. I don't, you know, like you, I've looked at the, the Majestics and I'm thinking, <laughs> really, that's what they've come up with. But, you know, it's again, a magic sticks just, or majestic. Let's just, yeah, <laughs> let's just majestics. Um, there's a, you know, get it. And there's a sort of, uh, so that's, that's, that's a, a part of it, which if that works and it's the same argument as say, for example, the, you know, in the IPL or over here in the hundred in cricket, um, they've set up, from nothing a sort of uh a loaded cricket team brands now again the 10-year argument is that those will become very valuable entities mm. in a way that that you can't invest in player individuals because obviously you've got a career span and okay in golf it's quite a long time but you you just can't invest in an individual in a way that you can in a, on a team because you've got that sort of more of a corporate entity so that bit of it i think is it makes intellectual sense. And this all began as a sort of spreadsheet at McKinsey. So McKinsey's, you know, uh, obviously a uh, love them or hate them, but they, they, they like a business model and they have put this thing together. That's where Bratches started. It was before Greg Norman got involved. Bratches became, was the, was one of the sort of people that they went to for for advice he'd just been just come out of uh, formula one and the model came okay there's teams the other bit to it which again is a bit underrepresented is is uh um hosting fees which again comes straight from formula one so formula one you know if you want a formula one race it's going to cost you a hundred bit you know a hundred million mm-hmm. and this is how it's going to evolve with live you're going to have a sort of a global tour and they hope obviously they're going to want uh courses to be uh to be paying top dollar for the you know the week of the circus appearing in your town so again that's a part of the model you've also once you've got um there's a sort of central versus local business model as well so the rights once it gets going and again the plan is that they will sell things like just as, as the nfl sells a central licensing deal for all of the kit of every team to nike then that sort of thing will happen, you know, and you'll start to see uniforms. It's all fine. Again, intellectually, I can get there. There are some real challenges, you know, real stumbling blocks. Building team brands is is just not easy. We know that outside of, you know, India and cricket. Um, PJ, and there's a whole good. load of, you know, load of challenges. So, but there is a, to answer your first question, I think it's a mistake to think it's just about sports washing. I agree. I think there is a business rationale at the centre of it. Yes, yeah, they're trying to make money. The the PIF no has uh, a mandate to actually mm. increase the funds that they've got available, and they're doing that in lots of other areas. It's uh, it like just le- legitimate business, normal business investments. Mm. They're, they're Uber and Twitter and yeah, they just they go stuff. around and invest in businesses yeah, yeah. with a view to make a profit. 
the, the te- I agree with you. Just because the team thing's being done so poorly at the moment doesn't mean that it can't be done well and make some money. I was staggered, Richard. We had Joe Ogilvy came on the State of the Game podcast a few weeks ago, and I was staggered when he just casually dropped that quite a few of the billionaires he knows have expressed an interest to him that they'd like to own a team. <laughs> It's an extraordinary yeah, yeah. thing to think about, isn't it? But they just mentioned, oh, well, how do we get in on this? I'd love to own a, a team. It's uh, well, that, that's how you I get- think if if my personal view on that is that we would have seen this happen initially or already if we hadn't had the Saudi, uh, you know, the 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 comms war that's happening. There's a whole load, of, you know, it's the reason why a lot of the players haven't jumped. They're just too rich. They don't need to have this aggro, you know. Likewise, if you're a billionaire. Why would you bother until everything's settled down and then you come in and and do it? So again, there is a you know someone's just paid for you know two and a half billion quid for Chelsea. I'm a Spurs fan. I can't believe that. But it's like a you know <laughs> team franchise. Yeah. The 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 valuations of that are outperforming the sort of the, the other forms of investment. Yeah. So they are popular and they come with all sorts of what are called intangibles, i.e., rich blokes who weren't at call at school get to be with the cool kids. Yeah. You know they get to hang out. And it's a, just a whole, a whole different game. I think that's how you get more interesting teams from a brand point of view. Eventually, as well, is when mm. you've got, uh, you know, in, in to motorsport, you know, Penske Racing or Haas Racing or something is infinitely like there's an identity behind that which is much more interesting than Majestics or Four Races or some made up name, um, or even in the, the hundred Richard the the London spirit or something like that, that, that yeah. at least has a little bit of a regional, uh, you know, uh, th- there's tribalism to that. But uh, I think when you've got an identity like, you know, who knows, maybe eventually there's a Callaway team or a Titleist team. And, you know, interesting thing. It starts to get really interesting. There's a lot of smart people behind the scenes here, isn't there, Richard? Everybody's pointing and saying, oh, Norman, he's a personality, he's this, that, now that this. He's a useful idiot. There's some pretty bright people <laughs> behind the scenes at this live thing, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, you've got people who are selling the media rights and doing the doing the sponsorship deals, who again don't get much publicity, mm. but you know have got pedigrees. It's not to say that they can't make mistakes. No, and, no. You know that they're they're um, not to be questioned. I think there's a you know Greg Norman is an interesting character. You like you? I mean, I've I've interviewed him several times over the years. I've always found him very impressive when he's talking about business, I think he's got, you know, there's a genuine, he's interested in it yes, and he understood it. And he's very good on, you know, he's always had series of, you know, a bag full of chips on his shoulder about IMG, about tours, about, you know, Tim Fincher, all of this. But I always, he always struck me as someone who was, I think quite a clear thinker. So it's, he's made a series of terrible, shocking comms mm-hmm. blunders now, whether or not, and I've heard lots of people say that, you know, oh, they should just get rid of him and get a, you know, a grown up in and all of that. No, I don't, I really don't yet. know. Yeah, you know, yet. I don't know. I think Bratches was supposed to be that. And then he, as you, as you mentioned, he left after, you know, after you interviewed him. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, he actually yeah. left after Norman said something really stupid. Yeah, I think it was more Greg Norman than me that, yeah, that, that made the job. Right. Let's put it that way. You know, there's a role for the for Norman in this, isn't there? There'd be few who would go at this as he has done, as aggressively as he has done, with so much self assurance the way he has done. And it's kind of what it needs if he's going to break into this world. He's got the street cred in terms of golf. Mm. He's not dumb with business, and a lot right. of people are, he's not 
I think he's Jar Jar Binks. In he's this street. He's street smart with business. He's a terrible communicator, Richard. Have you ever understood anything he said when you've interviewed him? He he makes no sense most <laughs> of the time, does he? They're, the words come out, and they're all words. They just words, they just yeah. don't belong in the order that he's. And, and that business them. acumen that you talk about. I think you come across those people all the sure. time. But like there's people he, who've got the word soup that can you don't accidentally do an investor presentation. Yeah, but you don't accidentally build the empire he has. Yeah, there's been a much more a, successful golfers on course who've not parlayed it into the business that he did. He's very charismatic. He's a he is a mm. big brand. Just ask him. Lots of it's, people are. <laughs> that's right. But that's he. All he needs to do is to not like in small groups investor presentations and stuff. He just needs to not put his foot in it and he's going to do he's going to be pretty successful. Money. Mm. Yeah. Like I think just on just just well just to finish on Norman for a minute. That there's a there's been a lot of golfers who have tried to copy him and not mm. succeeded. Nick Faldo would be one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean I've I've sat in rooms where Nick Faldo has has sort of talked about his next business venture and they've all been absolute failures. You know, from the jug and jacket um, line of pubs to, you know, various shoes, various bits of, you know, stuff that he's been trying to sell. Ian Poulter was another one who tried to do a sort of mini mm-hmm. version of of Greg Norman. You've got people like Ballesteros, even Nicholas Palmer. You know, if you take them outside, you know, not Palmer, put Palmer to one side. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly Nicholas, Jacqueline, mm-hmm. you know, all of these people over the years have attempted to monetize their their golfing brand now what norman was very very good at and it's and it's funny enough it's a business model which is very similar to donald trump's is that is just about ip it's about Mm. the name Mm. and about the licensing and building value in that identity so the the shark and his hat and all of that stuff which had an audience and it was a global audience and you know resonated with a particular um group and he sold shitloads and he then sold it again, kept selling the same thing and licensing it, you know, as you know, from everything from mm. private jets to wine turf and, to beef yeah. to wine yeah. to grass hotels. Yeah. Grass. Yeah. Yeah. GN, grass. GN, grass. GN to yeah. Bent or something, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh yes, I uh, I agree with you because he's he's done something many haven't. In fact, if you were to look at it um objectively, Faldo should have ten times as much money as Norman. If on course success was the guide of who's going to be the most successful in terms of finance, yeah. But then it's as I say, it's he's, not about I that. think he's the exception. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of golfers who just thought that that was going to be what they were going to do. He's always been but, smart enough to use other people's money too, and you know, it was Reebok in the early days and Akubra. He's always had other people's money to do things with. I think he learned that from which Terry is Packer. the case now yeah. as well. Well, it's just the case now, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. It's really it's, uh, you're well. That's what that, you know. Again, without uh, that's what rich people do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they do. They do. It isn't, isn't their own money they're spending. You know, this is not. It is always other. It's, you know, they call it OPM for a reason. It's other people's money. Yeah. In in tra- you know, that's it's it's never their money. Yeah. 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 Us, us schmucks <laughs> trying to. Uh, Richard, I'm I'm interested in your interactions with people who aren't as close to it as we or don't follow it quite as closely as we do. Um, I, in my own interactions, I find people want to know. Oh, you know, like, Adrian, well, what do you think of this live thing? And before I can even get a word in, they're like, because I think blah blah blah. <laughs> they seem to be all coming at it with their own pre. Um, you know, there's, 
I think it's it's good because of this, or I think I hate it because of this. Uh, they boil it all down to a single issue, um, whereas I, I find it difficult to to wade through all of the inputs I've yeah. got on it and come up with a single issue. I sometimes have to remind myself, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm still not happy with where the money's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> you get lost in all the other stuff. Yeah. Do you get much of that, Richard? Do people ask you? My mum said to me, what's this thing that's going on with golf? And it's like, honestly, I don't have the time. I just don't have <laughs> exactly. the time. Exactly. I, I get one or two sentences into an answer and, and they're like, they're, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not patient with that. I need to – I don't like it because of this. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, it's, you know, there is – I think it I, – yes is the answer. I do get a lot of that. And it's. I think it's, it's probably – when they – when the Ryder Cup goes – or is is disrupted or ruined or the open and you know is 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 that if that gets impacted we all know that there's only a certain number of and you know probably four or five events that anyone beyond the sort of hardcore golfer really knows or cares about or they or it resonates with them it might be you know three majors and a and, a, and the Ryder Cup you know that 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 breaks out and that's being generous probably so they won't know anything's happening really and they won't be following it other than or oh, another famous golfer has gone to this mm-hmm. thing called live and and it's i guess if you're going back to the sort of sports washing objective that's a that's a win for for live oh absolutely you know that they've yeah. they've appeared on the scene and they exist yeah and they weren't here a year ago in the in the sort of global consciousness, and now they are. And okay, we're now at the next sort of stage, and people have to take us seriously because we've got some serious players on our on our roster. They've got all the elements for a great headline, haven't they? The Saudis, politically bad. Norman, well known figure, high profile players taking huge amounts of money, disrupting all those rich white middle aged blokes who wear the loud pants and go play golf. It just touches all of the. All of the headline touch points, all of those are much more complicated, and it's, it's <laughs> but it touches them all. When you combine a couple of those as well, though, they really lock together in something that cuts through, like that that point about, oh, a high-profile player has gone across. Combine that with, oh, they're going to have tournaments in Australia. Uh-huh. And a, in, a bunch, of, here, in a bunch of people's minds, that locks together as like, oh, that's the only way I'm ever going to see Mickelson again, or that's the only way I'm going to see DJ out here, you know? It, that's great. I love this live thing. You know, that's if I want to take my my kids to go see world class golf. It's thank good this live thing. We've been trying to get DJ to come out and play the Australian Open for years, and we can't pay him enough. Live's gonna live's taking care of it. Fantastic. You know, it's just these things lock together in a way that makes it a, like a win for for some people. Like that's it overrides everything and they well that's their only concern what's it it's their only concern for me and it goes to that reaction that you get like everybody's a one issue like i guess people aren't deep thinkers is that is that possible not in Rob? my experience no yeah <laughs> for the most part but people are so sure of that you would see this a lot yeah. people are so sure of themselves their position is they're they're anti or pro whichever it is there's been not a lot of you don't meet a lot of people who go well you know there's this to think about and then there's that to think about and on this side there's that and on this side there's that on both sides of it yeah that's well. right like, there's not enough of that there's an awful lot of uh, live is bad because where the money's coming from and which is kind of where I am me too but I I kind of I, then you I, get lost in I want to examine yeah. everything about it and look at all of the grey areas and the nuance of the whole thing um, but it's 
uh, you know, I do think that extreme thing of like because of this single issue, I'm against everything to do with it. I yeah, I mean, I, I still want to examine the product itself. Yeah, you've like been the, watching it, haven't you? With the, the gold starts, yeah. I haven't for yeah, all so. sorts of other reasons, but I'm also not particularly compelled to. Yeah. Um, Richard, this is all a victory, isn't it, Philip? I mean, in terms of disrupting, it'd be hard to imagine you could disrupt golf in a better way than what they have. To, to be talking about golf outside of golf circles is a massive victory in that sense. That's the court of public opinion. Have you got a sense about that? What sorts of things, what sorts of takes are you getting from people outside of golf when they talk about it? Do you mean from a from the sort of people in in the sports business, or just yeah, people, people, people you interview, yeah, people public. you interview on your show who've got an interest in business and whatnot? What's their take on the the morals yeah, of the money? Uh, first and those of all, things? huge interest, you know. So it is almost the first or second conversation you're having with anyone if you go to a, a meeting or a conference or whatever. Um, it's just captured everyone's imagination because it's happening in golf, and you know it's. It's the same as uh, go back two years and, and you know, the Super League, Super League in European football mm. was a story that people talked about for 20 years. And we no one ever really thought it would happen because UEFA would be too, too powerful to take on. And there's so many potential challenges there that, you know, what you can't imagine what a new world would be post the Champions League. Champions League is one of the biggest events in the world. And then suddenly on a Sunday night, 12 <laughs> clubs announced that they broke away and you sort of think, well, hang on a minute. Shit, it's happening, you know? <laughs> and, and then you have to then, you know, there was a, and it collapsed almost immediately within 48 hours, but it would, they, they really thought they were going to get away with it. And they were still going to, this, you know, it's still going on through the courts now. So there is, at the moment, I think we have to put live into context of of just the uh, the way in which sport is looked at by people with large amounts of money or access to it. So, if you're looking at you know the cast of characters, always billionaires, it's private equity groups, and they are looking at sport because they see, um, as we said earlier, they see complacency, they see mismanagement, they see that they think they could come in and run it better and make more money over the next three, five, 10 years, whatever the term is, and then sell out uh, a profit. Oh, and wow. history suggests that they're right. right. Now they, that all that happens day in, day out, as Adrian said, in other forms of business in tech or in retail or, you know, whatever the, the you know, in airlines in sport, there is a sort of, you've got this cultural thing, that it's really hard to tamper with because you you then private equity is called private equity for a reason. They don't like publicity. They don't like being at the center of the story. They like to come in, you know, do the deals privately and then take over and then make shed loads of cash. Football is different. Golf is different. So that is a, a challenge for them. But if you, if you scroll back and say, well, what's, what's the big trend of the last few years? It's, private equity money coming in, buying and taking bets on the next 10 years of sport. The case study was always CVC and Formula One. So they came in, bought it for a, you know, a, a, were given a sweetheart deal and made, what was it, you know, 14 billion, you know, over the course of, you know, 12 years or whatever. So 
enormous returns on investment. And CVC have then moved on. They're picking out bits of rugby. So they're, you know, they've bought bits of Six Nations. They bought bits of world rugby, club rugby in, in across bits of Europe. And they're trying to make sense of that. Rugby is a, a sport which, you know, even its best, biggest fans say has completely been, you know, it, it, it has failed yeah. as a professional sport, you know. So that is across the board. So every sport, if you look at triathlon, if you look at swimming, if you look at various bits of athletics, if you look at tennis, CVC are buying up tennis, Silver Lake private equity are buying the All Blacks or the the, the commercial heart of the All Blacks. So it's happening everywhere. So Liv is a part of that. And Greg Norman and the Saudis and PGL and, you know, the, the the rich people that we mentioned about wanting to buy franchises. If you look at, there's a daily news agenda that is about uh, buying up um, shares in NBA teams, NFL teams, franchises, MLS. There is no sport too small or too obscure. I've seen pitches for, you know, one of the big growing sports is lacrosse, wow. paddle. All of these sports are, there are, there are uh, people with money saying, Okay, let's buy this. Strip away the, you know, the, uh, the, the what's not working, and it's always straight lines. It's always the Formula One of tennis, the Formula <laughs> One of, you know, the IPL of golf, whatever it is, and then and then away we go. So that's the that's the model, and so live has to be seen in that context, and that's why it's not going away, and that's why also. You know they know that the 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 tours fundamentally are flawed organisations. They they they're not created to be billion dollar organisations, and they have too many mouths to feed. Which is always the cliche. So it's it's just yeah. There's some truth that's in that the, too. That's isn't the there? challenge. There's some truth in that, which is interesting. Well, I often wonder what the investor presentation would look like for Live. They, they probably don't really need one right at the moment because they're just pouring their own funds into it. But um, well, how long for is the question? That, we'll that's right. That later. And we know that they do want to make a profit. Well, they have to. That's that's the stated goal of the mandate of the PIF. So, what would the investor presentation look like? I, I love that um, South Park presentation. You have no idea what I'm talking about, Rod. But the the underpants gnomes in South Park, where they're oh, all in now. Their whole business model <laughs> is uh, steel underpants, and then. Part two of their business model is question mark. Part three is profit. <laughs> and, uh, and I just think right now the live uh, investor presentation would look something like that, and that's okay. It would be, you know, get players, build a league, like just go all out, do whatever they can to, to become. And then make it something. To, to get, see what the consumer wants. See what the consumer wants. That's where that. the, that's with the, the beauty of the underpants gnomes yeah. model is that you need to keep your options open with that second step and teams are probably it uh, or yeah. certainly a significant part of it mm -hmm. but as richard said there's other aspects to it as well that can be monetized there's the the regional things you know people will pay big money to have a tournament go to their region and there's all sorts of other aspects that come into it there's the the branding of the, or the the oh, uniforms the and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of other things that come into it. So step two is, you know, question mark, but, you know, it's starting to resolve itself. Mm -hmm. It will, in a few years, perhaps be fully resolved and it'll be very clear what step two is. And then step three is profit. So 
it's um it, if I'm an investor looking at that, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, golf. It, it, it gets back to that fundamental question that why they got into it. Golf is ripe for disruption, and it's broadly appealing. It is, but even in sport, it's a difficult prospect, isn't it? Golf, Gillis. When you have teams, you mentioned the you know the Premier League, the IPL. I know that some of those teams have just been started, but team fans are like smokers, aren't they? They're addicts. Doesn't matter what happens, they're going to stick to their team. You just don't have that in golf. You'd think that there'd be some regional thing constantly with golf, you know, where Australian golfers would all support all Australia, Australian fans would all support all Australian golfers. You don't have that. I'm as big a fan of Rory as I am of Cam Smith. I'm as big a fan of Tiger as I am of somebody else. There's much less of that. There's not something to lock onto because it's such an individual pursuit. So it's different to other sports, isn't it? As a product, we've had this discussion before, and I know that you've set me straight and proved that I was wrong, but. I still firmly believe that golf as a product is different because by far the bulk of the spectators, the consumers, are also participants at their own level. And I don't think that's true of other sports. So it's a different sell. Yeah. Netflix I, funny enough, I take the opposite view. I know, and you articulate think, it better, which I hate because you've no, won no, this I argument just, no, twice I, already. I'm just on teams. <laughs> I think teams actually is one of the most interesting bits of it. I think the execution of it, so far that we've seen has been laughable. Mm, it's been a placeholder. And I, th- I would say also for the event management of it has been really shoddy. It just looks like a- Come on, know, Richard. A, it's, a, got, a, it's louder. Event. It's louder. And you can't, you can't deny the shark <laughs> shotgunning yeah. beers from the balcony for people down below. You can't tell me that's not a spectacle that we all want to be a part of. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So I, but just on the teams thing, teams, I yes. think teams actually, I remember- 10 years ago, someone talking about team goal, you know, linking teams, uh, you know, and putting them in teams around the various tours. I think there is some merit in it. I think the Ryder Cup is not a bad proof point, mm-hmm. but it, as far as it goes, the President's Cup was tried and well, didn't work, but it needs the, you know, you're right about the tribalism of team sports and it's really notoriously difficult to, to to sort of just conjure that mm. um we're seeing it across the board it's a real issue in women's football after the euros here in terms of what's going to happen now 62 or 82,000 people turn up at Wembley to watch um uh, England Germany and then the average gate is uh, the women's super league in the UK is um 2000 so where do those people go and those people are big eventers so they're people who turn up they are the same people who turn up for the Ryder Cup. Yes. They turn up for the Open, mm-hmm. but they do not turn up for, you know, the Greater Greensboro or the, you know, the Italian Open or whatever it is. So you've got, that's always been a challenge. And it's, does teams solve that problem? Does it, does it make it a bit stickier? The other question that you've got is the audience is not us. That's the thing you've got to always remember is that the potential for this is to attract people who aren't you, you know, you're not, Mm. it's not white middle-aged blokes, golf members who are going to, they're targeting, they're targeting other, other audience groups. Is that doable, Richard? Which are hugely underrepresented. If you're not interested in golf, you're not going to start watching golf. If you don't play golf, you're not going to want, I mean, I understand this mythical huge portion of the population who don't play and aren't fans, but, the reason they're not watching golf is because they've got no interest in the game for whatever reason. They're not going to start having an interest because it's louder. Well, what, what Netflix has done it with F1. 
Um, like we it, had, it, it, to- it, Toto okay. Wolf just came out this right. week saying F one in some ways is somewhat exciting. You watch it. Uh, if you don't if play people, golf, if you people don't describe golf, it as watching traffic. Golf is not in any way interesting unless you it's understand the nuances it's of it. fast traffic. No, I agree. I'm not a fan of but the F1 either. I think compare F1 to, say, um, IndyCar, which is interesting oh, well because- Well out of my wheel. There's <laughs> <laughs> another one. Here's a, so IndyCar is much more of a meritocracy than F1. The cars are actually extremely similar across teams. There's a lot more constraints on what they're allowed to do technology-wise with the cars. So there's a parallel to the PGA Tour there where golf boasts about being an incredible meritocracy. Um, IndyCar is actually a meritocracy. And funnily enough, the teams thing is lost a little bit in IndyCar in this sea of logos from second and third tier sponsors. Like there are teams in IndyCar, but you don't really have a dominant team because of this meritocracy again. Like anybody from any team can almost win a race every week. Um, and also the branding just doesn't come through as clearly. You look at the cars on the grid in IndyCar and they're, they're just this sea of logos with all these second and third tier sponsors. Um, so they never really got that team thing going there. F1's come in with incredibly strong team identity and the broad popularity from that they gained from Netflix mm-hmm. and like swept away the American market and they're looking to add races in America and F1 a few years ago would have thought, oh, we're never going to break into America. IndyCar's such a stronghold. It's Can um, Netflix turn non-golfers into golf fans, Richard? Uh, potentially. I mean, a lot of sports are, you know, are, are doing their drive to survive thing. I, I would say that, back to uh, Adrian's point about what the, what the deck looks like, what the investor deck would look like. The investor deck, I think, would contain the words top golf. It would contain the words creators, influencers. It would create, it would contain the, the phrase esports. It would be all the things that Rod hates. I don't hate in a, in NFTs. A, in, a, in a PowerPoint, it would have uh, NFTs you know, and crypto. The whole sort of golf bro web three sort of coverage from, <laughs> you know, uh, Barstool. It would have clips it would be it would be sort of tiktok leading and all of so and 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 that would be i think right by the way and i think that would be your bet for the next that's a lot of of 10 years about how people are going to engage in golf and how my daughter is going to engage in golf and people who are sort of 15 to 30 it's not going to be sitting watching uh, linear television. That's and every consuming it in the same way at the moment. They're all throwing that same spaghetti up against the wall. True. Although things. you would have seen this thread, I'm sure you showed it. Who, who's your chap from Are You Not Entertained who did the thread on this recently, and then they did the podcast follow up. I listened to the first fifteen or twenty minutes, and something happened. Like Roger that. Mitchell. It might have been Roger Mitchell. Yeah, and he laid out, as you say, to clarify. I don't hate any of those things. I'm indifferent to them because they're they're not me, and I'm not the target market. I can see all that, but ultimately. I can't see the product of golf holding the interest of someone who doesn't play it. As a spectator, as a spectator, I just don't see it. It doesn't. I watch translate. a lot of sports, Rod, that I play very few. That's right. I don't. I don't. I, that connection, I don't think, is as strong as you are. You're, you're making I'm, it. I think I'm, that. I'm I think you're overplaying now. that yeah. point about golf. Golf has a huge, you know, has a participation base that other sports would love, but I think. One of the lessons, of, you know, of the last few years is that actually watching and then playing the sort of inspiration argument, I think, is sort of undermined by 
how little evidence there is, you know, for after major events, for example, you know, that there is very, very little evidence that, you know, an, an Olympics causes a bump in participation, an enduring bump in participation. So I think you've got to be careful with, with suggesting that it's only golfers who play golf are going to be watching golf. Cause I don't, I don't agree with you on that. Here's the, like, I get, I, I'm totally with Gillis here. Because I think it's just it's, it's all about context. It's yes. all it's all about context I mean, and different to you and understanding what's at stake. When the Olympics come around every four years, there's a bunch of really weird sports there that I've got no idea what's going on. But after a few minutes of viewing, oh, you're an I, <laughs> I get the context <laughs> sure. and I get what they're doing. Like it, you know, a simple example like high jump or something like that. It you you get it very quickly. Like it's oh, they've got to they keep putting that pole up and you've got to get Once over every it. four years and you've got a few attempts. Would you watch it doing next it. week? Uh, no, the next no, month? no. But the for, next year. for a while, it's incredibly fascinating. It's not about how sticky it is because I think golf is a lot more sticky once you're in it. Um, I think it's it's you know you're gonna you're gonna have but people stick with sports not necessarily because of the sports aspect of it. It's because of the storylines and the teams and that sort of thing. So. There's a lot more to it. If if high jump took the time to really professionalise and you know create superstars out of the high jumpers, if it wasn't still sort of like mired in the the remnants of amateur sport, then it, maybe it would be mm. quite sticky. I don't, the but the thing with golf is that and and Liv is playing with this. The format is inscrutable. If you turn on the TV to any golf tournament, you turn on the the PGA Tour thing last week especially in the first few rounds, you're like, what the hell is going on here? What's at stake? Like, if you don't know anything about golf, yeah. they're jumping around what, from what hole we, to hole. You know, the, the other question, which is interesting, which is what are we losing here? What are we giving up? Hmm. I'm, I'm a, I, I find it surprisingly hard to watch golf. Yep. As in, we I find do. it tedious. It is know, te- and totally tedious. I shouldn't. I love golf. I'm obsessed with golf. You, you know, I'm on TikTok far too long watching golf clips, you know, but, I just don't. I don't want to sit in front of a telly and watch a tour. It's a real struggle. For the first, I mean, I, I watch the Masters, I watch the Open, I watch you know a handful of others. The first, the last few holes of that tournament in Memphis last yeah. week were watchable, of course. And the playoff—that's true of all sports, though. If you didn't watch basketball, you could watch the last minute of every game, and it'd be interesting and exciting. No, Things have so to sure build to it. a certain point. It's the same issue with Test cricket, isn't it, Richard? It goes for yeah, five days, test, and you, you might cricket. not get a result. But yeah. again, some of the most exciting cricket—I'm not a cricket fan either necessarily but some of the most exciting cricket is is a fascinating final afternoon on day five of a test when it's all in the balance you can't recreate that in your 2020 or your your, your 100 can you if you're counting no. test cricket if you're counting backwards from 10,000 you can't help but get a little bit excited when you start to get down to you know 10, 9, 8, 7 yeah <laughs> well, exactly and there's, there's, that's all a part of that narrative and golf is one of those you know golf's chess to a lot of sports checkers that, that's not a knock on other sports that's the appeal. Well, for those of us who've been fans so far, Gillis, I'm not convinced about this notion that you're going to build a big enough army of current non-golfers to suddenly turn onto the notion of golf, who are going to do anything more than perhaps tune in for those final few holes on a Sunday afternoon at Top Golf, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to make that. I wouldn't be convinced by that pitch. I've got another counter-argument. I don't think. To, uh, sorry, Richard, I'll, um, I'm going to help support your case a little bit further here. Go for it. Oh, like he needs your help. <laughs> He's beaten me on this point three or four times already. <laughs> the the issue with what's at stake, there is no, there's very little to see what's at stake in the early rounds of a four-round golf tournament. But take something like the Ryder Cup. You know from the very first All shot one, what's at yeah. stake. 
and it's captivating from the first shot because there's a point at stake and that just sort of builds like we've talked about this before when the Solheim Cup was on it was just fascinating at Inverness watching the whole thing Mm. unfold because as it unfolded you become the team captain you can see the equation and you can you develop this understanding of what's at stake and it's like that match over there is really important I I, I need to run over to that match to support that player (laughs) and this match over here is important the whole thing starts to unfold and it's because you as a viewer know what's at stake from shot number one and it holds your attention that whole time a four round golf tournament it takes three and a half rounds for it to resolve into something that's like okay now this shot means a lot we've got it down to three or four players and these three or four players have a lot at stake in every single shot that they're playing this last nine holes holes. (laughs) start on the 10th I I think I see one point we are missing in this conversation is that we no one I don't think even Greg Norman is saying that we're going to get rid of 72 hole stroke play events we just don't need them every week no that's true and we need you know there are certain ones we all know what they are that matter mm-hmm. and those will continue no one's saying that the open yeah. is going to disappear no one's going to say the us open there is a the, the problem is the middle of the market you know which is just it's chock full of tedious also meaningless events that don't matter at all they don't, they just literally wouldn't matter if they disappeared now the only people that would miss them are the players that are playing in them and that's why the tours are structured in the way and that's that's the key strategic weakness of the tours as a structure is that they are they do not wake up and think about me the viewer a golf fan they wake up and think about how can i please the members my the players the the group the hundred odd yeah or 200 odd players now. And we all know, and, and every time someone comes on the podcast, I ask them if they're in into goal, how many players sell tickets, how many players impact on the value. And it is a minuscule Harsh number. Less, so, less than five, maybe. Well, that's, that's so the problem for live and the reason that live is going to fail, I think in it's in this, uh, first iteration is that it hasn't solved that basic problem because if live was, the 20 best players in the world playing off eight times a year, 12 times a year, which I think was the initial idea. Then you've got something very compelling. Then you've got something that really matters and people would tune in the problem. And you mentioned Charlie Hoffman, you've got the Charlie Hoffman problem. You've got the Pat Perez problem is that you've got a whole load of people that I didn't give a toss about when they played on the PGA tour. And I certainly don't give a toss about when they're playing on the live tour. Mm. Now, you you've basically migrated because they just wanted people to come over. You've migrated people that aren't selling tickets on one side and they're not going to sell tickets on the other side. They don't solve any of the problems. Even someone like, I don't know if you had a Ricky Fowler, you could argue that at least he's bringing his audience or bringing, you know, a, a group. I don't know how, how old Ricky, I've been arguing about Ricky Fowler for about 10 years. He's always my, last time I sort of interviewed him, he was a 22 fantastic looking bloke <laughs> and he was the future of golf. I still reuse him as a reference point for, you know, Gen Z and millennials, but um, you get my, you get the point. I think there's a real problem with live that they've, they've got that we're stuck in the middle and we, we've got, a, as we said at the beginning, we've got, a really boring status quo PGA tour diet. We've also got a really boring crap breakaway, yeah. which is, mm. you know, the worst of both worlds. You see it in tennis, don't you? There's a lot of 
tennis events that nobody cares about, which are three set, um, three sets and done. You know, whereas the the Grand Slam events are all five sets. With um, with your point there about we don't care about some of those players, and it was very few players we care about. I, I'm interested, Richard, because F1 is kind of similar. Like, there's nothing to say that the 20 drivers in F1 are the best 20 drivers in the world. It's actually not a meritocracy. They come in, they sort of get handpicked. They pay their way in. They pay their way in. Yuki Tsunoda, there's nothing. Uh, you know, he's a very good driver. Um, Better than no, you. Not a knock on him. <laughs> but the, I, I can't, there's no. I've got no evidence that he's one of the 20 best drivers in the world. Uh, IndyCar are kind of. Better at that. Yeah, they they are better at identifying the best drivers. But we know for a fact in Formula One that it it so much depends on what what seat you're in. Um, You see it, you know, world champions go to a lesser team and they languish in the back of the grid. And so it it doesn't need, I don't think it actually needs the 20 best people to be a popular product. It needs 20 compelling people in some way. Or, okay. it, that, that's right. It, it needs 20, twelve compelling people. They make people them for the compelling. Team. They that's make right. them compelling people. Twelve team captains could do it. Create the storylines. Yeah, if you, the if, if your twelve team captains were Daly, Mickelson, Woods, Oof. let's take Norman out of the commissioner's job and make him a captain. Oh, yes. Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley. You got your who heels. are some NFLs people? Got, you get twelve team captains, owners. That's it. Now you've got something that I think you're right. Good guys, doing. I bad think that's guys. What that's right. Yeah. So Patrick Reed's the perfect villain. Yeah, he might be one of the biggest losses from the PGA. People would turn on to not like him, yeah. and, you know, and he's very good at that. So there's some interesting things there. A couple of things to finish up, Richard. I've taken more of your time than I thought, and it's getting very late over there. Uh, have the PGA Tour handled this badly? If they have, how could they have handled it differently? And the PGL still bubbles in the background. I haven't necessarily given up on it completely yet, having listened to Andy Gardner on both your show and No Laying Up. Mm-hmm. He's a smarter guy than we're probably giving him credit for. Is there still hope for the PGL? Because if the PGA Tour were to do this live thing, They've got all the infrastructure in place. They could actually do it, I think, easily and make it a success fairly quickly. So there's three questions for you. Uh, have the PGA Tour acted badly? I think they. there's two things. There's long and short term. They've behaved badly over the long term, complacency. They've handled the initial um, response with just basically threats and um, that was almost inevitable. I think their defence will come to the sort of golf rankings, won't it? I think, you know, one of the, that, that I think that is becoming the battleground Mm -hmm. because I don't know what happens next year. And, you know, this will be a lawyer's thing where how you defend, I'm looking at, you know, a defense strategy for the PGA tour and the European tour. And at the moment it's, you know, it's our ball. You can't play and you, you know, we'll ban you. Um, I don't know what happens when they, the, when um, Brooks Kepka can't play in the US Open next year because he hasn't got the world ranking points because he's not been playing on the tour. Uh, we're not there yet, but that's that's got to be on everyone's mind mm-hmm. in terms of how that gets solved. So I think they will centre around that and that will be their sort of the uh, the bit that they defend. If they then come out with look at us we're innovating let's see what that looks like because i think you know that that that's got all the potential for uh chaos and confusion um because i just i'm not sure they're capable of doing it because actually what has to happen is that you have to reduce the fields Mm -hmm. and that's that they can't do that structurally so that's a problem i think 
you're right. Andy Gardner is a smart guy. I think he's a very, uh, this that hasn't gone away, still rumbling in the background. It is sitting with the, the basic argument is that um, it's a long-term play. Here is the next 10 years of media rights. It's something, you know, let's trade numbers. They, they, their number says it's 10 billion. Allen and co, which was hired, which is a consulting group was hired by a, a PGA tour who then sort of undercut those numbers and said, no, that's, I think what the phrase was, you know, that's a Ryder cup every month or something like that. So they'll trade that. And, but essentially what they're saying is that there is a, a very large number and it's, it's billions that you as a player, if you're Rory McIlroy, um, you can have a stake, you can have an ownership stake in this new league. And that's a better bet than the Saudi money, which is up front and, you know, come and play for us for a hundred million. Now, if I'm, if I'm Rory McIlroy, if I'm, you know, uh, his agent, if he's got one still, um, I think that is short term over long term. Who knows? But that's a that's a risk on his part, and that's probably why that hasn't taken off. But that's essentially where it is. There's a the PGA Tour players group is looking at the PGL mm. sort of uh, idea and saying they could vote for it. Yeah, because my understanding is that, and as Andy Gardner laid it out, it doesn't necessarily need the blessing of Monaghan and mm-hmm. the executives. If you get enough of the players to vote for it, it becomes the policy of the tour whether they want it to or not. Yes. Yeah. And that's really interesting. It's, I mean, you know, I think there's a sort of, there's a reason why it hasn't taken up, because it's basically the same idea. Yeah. And essentially Liv has taken a lot of yeah. Andy Gardner's, you know, ideas and, and PGL's ideas. and. uh He's trying to make them work themselves. But the problem always comes back to, I'm just, I'm getting confused and I'm getting irritated. And I'm getting bored. And if this carries on, it's just going to be really, you know, no one's going to win other yeah. than the, obviously the individual the golfers are pocketing hundreds of millions. I'll burn the whole thing to the ground, Richard, and then we'll see how they like the idea of having to build it back up, all mm-hmm. those entitled types who <laughs> think they're, they're worth this, that, and the other. If you had to start yeah. again from scratch and build the tool. Charlie like Hoffman, the 40, see, that's see, right. can, see how you go yeah. travelling from one town to the next, sharing cars and yeah. hotel rooms <laughs> to try and uh, build a tour. Uh, the PGA Tour, just on that quickly, the PGA Tour are in a much better position to build the product that Liv are talking about very easily and quite quickly, are they not? They've got – that well. Prior to this, they had all the assets. They've also got Tiger. And in golf, unlike I think almost, you know, you, what do you got, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer in tennis, but Tiger kind of is golf. He who has Tiger wins, to put it really simply. I think there's a way, I've said this before, if they gave him a team, you had Team Tiger. Mm. you'd almost bring the rest of it together just team, based on Team Woods. I like that. The players would want to play for him. He would remain engaged in, in the game and competitive. You could see him at the age of eight. Another still out twenty or thirty years yeah. calling the shots for yeah. his team. You go over there, hit a seven iron there. You hit a wedge. Yeah. You could see that doing that, and they've got all of the assets for a promotion and relegation system. They could really build something quite interesting around that team concept. So you get you're getting excited already, Rob. Well, I, well, we spoke spoke about this before. I'm much more interested in that than I thought I would be given that it's now been sort of put on the table and then you think about it. And as you said, your daughter and, you know, people, young kids now are only two, three, four, five years old. If they grow up with team golf, it's not some new radical thing to them. 
you know, nobody's born, well, they probably are born as particular Premier League team fans, aren't they? <laughs> it's a bit like the AFL. If you're born into a family, well, you're born into that team in some ways. But that had to start somewhere. There was a there was a first game that Manchester United ever played. And so I think that can be built. But I think the PGA Tour is the, was the was the entity in a position to build it. And they've really, well, they've missed the start. There's a window, you feel like there's a window closing. It's closing. It? If enough players go to live right. and they're locked into these extremely draconian contracts, then it's going to be hard to break that all apart. Very much. And your product is diluted then across to, yeah. to perhaps more compelling tours but than the current thing from a couple of years ago. But still, they, they feel like there's a window it, it's closing. It's interesting with every – so we so Adrian said about, you know, the, the, the story of the players. So Cam Smith is one that I feel a bit disappointed in. Of course. I had the same feeling with Stenson. I thought, oh, yeah. well, that's a shame. I could see, you know, that, and you sort of project onto these people as though you know them, yeah. you don't. But um, and as though I would turn down, you know, yeah. a million quid. How much of it is agents? But, do you think, Richard? Agents asking for like their big payday. Well, there's a couple of agencies who are have basically populated live at this stage, isn't there? There's two or three. I, I don't. I I think if a player doesn't want to do it he doesn't do it no. i think you know now cam leaves it all um, up to other people that's yeah he does it's interesting isn't it in interviews he does deflect and says you know it's for i just come and play golf and other people make these decisions i don't i think well <laughs> so it might happen but yeah. it'd be odd if it did I, i'm particularly what yeah just you know i just i i really like him as a player yeah and uh it's he's just someone who has sort of caught my imagination because I can't putt. He, he, <laughs> he, he's one of those five that is a marquee player who brings Definitely. a group. Like he's he's Spieth like. He's he's interesting to look at. There's a bit of Zalatoris. There's yeah. a bit of Dustin Johnson. Yeah. There's a bit of he's every man. Real competitor. He's, he's see, is he popular yeah. in Australia? Yes, hugely. Yeah, hugely, and rightly so. And I tend to agree. We had Jimmy Emmanuel on the podcast a few weeks ago, who you know, has interviewed yeah. Cam a bunch of times. He's of that age, and he told a story which I didn't know, and I think this is probably true. And every time Cam's been asked about money, he's always had the same response. And he hasn't looked like he's pretending. He's kind of shrugged his shoulders and gone, well, actually, I'm kind of set. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll buy a new fishing rod. So I don't think there's money in it for Cam. But he flew one of his mates over to live with him in America when he went to the PGA Tour because he was lonely and missed home. He's very good mates with Mark Leishman. It's pretty certain that Mark Leishman signed with Liv. If that means he's alone on the PGA Tour, that might be the motivation for him to say, yeah, yeah, 150 million, whatever it is, but that's why he would go. So he could continue to be just happy being Cam. I genuinely don't think the money motivates him. I've never seen anything about him or his lifestyle. I probably don't know much about it, but he just does not, he legitimately doesn't seem to be motivated by the money. So I can't think that that would be it. So it might be I just we, that. I thought it was odd that it was a bit of a shame. His dad wasn't at the Open. He, he sort of didn't fly him over and that was. A, I thought that was a bit peculiar. Mm. Agreed. I thought Maybe that was a bit odd too. I would have assumed that he would go to all the majors, his dad. He turns up at all the tournaments here. He's always at the tournaments when Cam plays down here. But the answer to your question is yes, he's hugely popular here. He's hugely popular around the world because he's a, he is that every man. Mm. He's, a, he's a simple kind of bloke. So, yes, I, if he does go, <laughs> it hasn't been confirmed, but it looks pretty – Likely that he will, um, but it'll be a bit of that, won't there? I, I agree with you with Stenson as well. That was all a bizarre thing, but that's Liv pulling strings too. That's all. The longer it goes on with Cam Smith, the better for Liv, isn't it? You know, if they can secure the world yeah. number one, they, they've got the Ryder Cup captain. These are all these little kind of malicious victories that they have. Well, if you if you had a you know if if this was a 
a, a, a comm strategy meeting, you would have, you would drop a player every couple of weeks, yeah. build it yes. up, do it, you know, and, and yeah. just make sure that you're in the news agenda every, every tournament, you know, yeah, every tournament comes up and you're, so it's a sort of, there's a drip, 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 which mm. will keep the whole thing going. Um, but as I say, it's, it's, it's not easy to see an outcome and the, and the worry is that it gets stuck halfway. Um, and the other bit is, I think what's interesting is about the, the sort of, I was thinking who is the worst person to be associated with? Is it, is it the sort of Saudi president or is it Donald Trump? Because once you sort of, <laughs> you saw the Fox lot, Turn. you know, when he, when they turned up at, Bedminster, and then they started doing Fox Let's interviews. Let's go, Brandon. And, and yeah, and it just felt, oh man, this is this is another level of culture war, you know. And if they're going to position themselves as as that, then you know that's adding another layer. But uh, yeah, it's very it highly politicised now bit. as well, which is fascinating. It's the anti woke tour. It's the Let's mm. Brandon tour. It's the somebody wrote that the other day. Yeah. That, that's what it's sort of become. Well, everything becomes that these well, days. There's, a, there's a sort of. I mean, I remember I did a thing about there. It was Alan Shipnut picked it up, saying that Pat Perez said that um, it's them against us. You know, there's a feat. What's it like in the in you know inside the live breakaway? And he said it's, it feels like us against the world. You know, there's a bloke who's made twenty eight and a half million mm. quid. And never and won four times in twenty five years. You know, he's never won a major, never come close to winning a major. So it's like, and it, it's Shipnuck's thing was um, one of the most striking ironies in modern golf is that the folks that live golf, populated by golf royalty, funded by actual royals, run by Greg Norman, who spent three hundred thirty one years as world number one, have staked out the position of oppressed underdogs, yeah, yeah. fueled by grievance. And I think that's a really smart point because actually that's Trump's. Yeah, position. That's 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 what Brexit was about. It's it's sort of entitled people, you know, sensing feeling like an underdog, and that that I think is a really interesting bit at the centre of this. That that this is their genuine worldview is that they think yeah. that they're radicals, and you quite often get this in Silicon Valley, and and uh, you know, it's Steve Jobs with a pirate T-shirt, yeah. and you yeah. know, it's it's I'm a I'm a radical outsider. Um, this, I, I, it's fascinating. Thank God he's not an Australian anymore, Richard, but all of this is Murdoch. That is Rupert Murdoch's yeah. playbook from the 1960s yeah. onwards, and that's how he, and, and it is him that has gifted this to the world in all of the things you just mentioned in Trump and in Brexit, and Murdoch has been part of every single one of those. Uh, he's taken yeah. that to the world. That's his gift to the world. So. We, we didn't even get into the court case as well, but the, the lawyer said, oh, these poor young men... Oh. It's just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these, these poor young men, their ability to ply their trade. Well, but but the, the comms war, even in the court, is crucial. Is it? You mentioned Brexit there, Gillis. No sensible person could look at what was put on the table with Brexit and say, well, there's a good idea. Uh, yet they won that war, didn't they, with comms. The, you know, the simple stuff, make America great again, get Brexit done, golf but louder. These really simple. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, you know, the simple answer to that is they – they know that people are unhappy. So they were, they're exploiting unhappiness. Yeah. And if you offer them a blank canvas, they will project onto that blank canvas, their own sort of uh, particular discontent. And that's, that's exactly what happened to Brexit and nothing to do with what we were voting for, but it was loads of people said, you know, well, I've, I haven't got as much money as I was, I was hoping or I, my life's shit. 
I blame Europe. You know, I blame immigrants. I blame, it's the same old, same old, same old. Yep. And there's a bit in live, which mm. is, I don't want to stretch the analogy too far, but there is a bit of, you know, we talk about what it could be. It's actually a pretty shitty couple of golf tournaments that mm. look crap and haven't got, even got a TV partner, but we're talking about it as, you know, we're projecting onto it, what the idea could be. It could be teams. It could be franchises. It could yep. be billionaires. It could be, and there's a, there's a sort of, that's, it's like the, um, you know, it's it's less. It, it was the least interesting thing about it is the golf. <laughs> is its is yep. its current format exactly is the golf itself? It's funny, you know, you, you touch on it there. This this was Mickelson's whole starting point, wasn't it? The tour are sitting on billions of hmm. dollars in digital marketing rights that I have to yeah. pay to get. I have to pay to get use of my own videos. That was that's kind of what started it all for him. That he was being cut out of this enormous pile of cash that he should be entitled to that the PGA Tour is sitting on. And that attitude. Toto Toto Wolf during the week came out about like, oh, they're you know, F1's about the sport. It's these, you know, drivers against each other in these fantastic machines. They're making it like keeping up with the Kardashians. Like that's it's all like it's all about selling this peripheral stuff, these storylines and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what made it popular. <laughs> that's kind of what made it popular. Yeah. <laughs> We're far from done. I hope you can come back and talk to us again at some point soon, Richard. It's always fascinating. I can't thank you enough for taking the time, mate, and giving us your expertise. And anybody who's not listening to Unofficial Partner, we'll put a show in the, uh, link in the show notes, won't we? Like mm. you'll look it up. Both the podcast and I've got to say the newsletter. Love the newsletter. If you if you don't have time to listen to the pod. Make sure you read the newsletter because it's brilliant stuff and congrats on that. It's always fantastic. Oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us today. Lovely to be here again. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. That's very kind of you. You might be a job going as co-host if Logue doesn't pull his head in about having to walk <laughs> up the street and where he gets the coffee from. Uh, thank you, Logue. Good to have you along as well, as always, of course. Thanks, Rod. I feel like we might have sort of had some semblance of an unofficial, unofficial partner podcast today. Like, <laughs> what, is the, was, what is the technical? What, what's the what's the this, collective noun for unofficial partner podcast? This is this could be a, an unofficial, <laughs> unofficial, unofficial partner episode. We'll yeah, I don't. Yeah. Off air. Episode 116, I think it is. In the books, we'll be back to do it all again here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.